Uh, today, we're going to continue um, our series in the book of Hebrews, and we're turning to chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, let me read it for us. He writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. So this really well-known passage um, likens the life of faith uh, to a marathon, to running a race of endurance. And it's, it's really meant to bring encouragement to people who are, are really challenged and are suffering because the people to whom he's writing are suffering quite a bit because it, it's very challenging for them as they have embraced Jesus as Messiah and yet they grew up in the Hebrew faith and they're being, they're being persecuted, frankly. They are suffering. Uh, maybe you are suffering. And, and Hebrews is calling out to us to say, in, in, in the midst of your suffering, don't give up. Keep running the life of faith and look to Jesus. And today, as, as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the great crowd, the great challenge, and the great reward. The great crowd, the great challenge, and the great reward. First, the great crowd. He says this, therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and, and when you, in the Bible and really in any literature, when you see the word therefore, what do you, what do you ask yourself? What is the therefore, therefore? Great, you, you've heard that before. What is the therefore, therefore? Well, the, the therefore is almost usually transitioning something, bringing something to the conclu- a conclusion, and driving home a point. So he's thereforeing uh, the entire chapter of. of of of, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, where he was listing the hall of faith, the greats of the faith, the goats, if you will, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, the prophets, the martyrs, who he is telling us in chapter 11, by faith, they did all of these great things. And now he's calling us not just to look to examples of faith, but to look at the object of our faith, which is Jesus himself. Catherine Switzer was the first woman uh, to run a marathon, or excuse me, to run the Boston Marathon officially. And she said this once, if you are losing faith in human nature, go, and, uh, go out and watch a marathon. And there's a couple reasons I'm sure why she said this. Uh, first being, uh, it is a spectacle to see great athletes uh, doing such an amazing feat of running a marathon. But even more so, I think what she meant was at a marathon, if you've been, uh, there is this great crowd that gathers to sort of unselfishly cheer on the runners. And I was thinking about it this week, like every other crowd or that, that gathers together for a sporting event, you're usually there because you're a fan, right? Of the Cardinals. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's funny, right? And so you, but I am a fan of the Cardinals. And when you go to a Cardinals game, you find out there is not a great cloud of witnesses. And in fact, that there's a much greater cloud of witnesses for the other team. But you're there cheering on your team, right? And booing the other team at, at times. But when you gather for a marathon, to, you're, it's, it's so giving. You're cheering for everyone and you're there to root them on. Every runner I've talked to, and by the way, I've never run a marathon. Becky has run a half marathon, actually several. I've, I have never run one, and I have no plans to ever run one. Okay, so. But I've heard that when you're running in the second half of the marathon, uh, the, the presence of this great crowd that is gathered and their cheers can really help you keep going. When your legs and lungs are screaming to stop, the crowd is yelling, keep going, and it's so helpful. And Hebrews says that this great cloud of witnesses that has gathered is none other than these greats that I've already mentioned in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. People like Noah, Abraham, Moses. They're the ones saying, look, we, we know what it is to suffer. Some of them were literal martyrs for their faith. And we're crying out to you from glory, don't give up. Keep running. And the, the point of all this, we sang about it a little bit just a minute ago, is we are not alone in this race of faith. You, you're not living your life in isolation, although you may feel like you are. In reality, you are a part of the church, the body of Christ that is present all around the world today, unified with all of them. And not only that, you are a part of the church that exists in all time and space, in, in eternity. Literally, everyone that has gone on before you has run that race of faith, and they are, we don't know if they literally are, but this passage seems as if it is, they are crying out to us to say, continue the race, continue, keep going. They're not just spectators, but witnesses. And that word witness literally means martyr, someone who's testified with their own life that it's true. Don't give up. You can do it. The great crowd. You're not alone. You're, you are in a great throng, if you will. And now the great challenge. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's now really getting to his point. In light of that fact that you're surrounded by these people, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In light of this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Hebrews is asking us to consider that the life of faith, of course, we've already mentioned, it's like a race, but he wants to press the analogy a little bit further and get you thinking like if you were actually running a marathon, there are some practical realities that would help you along the way. And the first is weight, right? So if you needed to lose weight <laughs> uh, and you're going to go run a marathon, that's great because running, training for a marathon will help you lose weight. But also, you'll probably want to work a little extra harder on what you're eating to lose even more weight because every extra pound is not going to help you when running a marathon. you got to think about literal weight. You also have to rid yourself of extra clothing, right? Uh, you never see people wearing like jeans and steel-toed boots when running a marathon. It's just not something you see. Why? Because the weight, duh. He's calling us way beyond, though, this analogy, but he's getting us to think about the analogy to press his real point, which is this. 
in your spiritual life, in your, in your race, in, 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 in enduring with Jesus, there are things that are weighing us down and keeping us from running effectively. He's calling us to think about the things that are making it more difficult to run the race of faith and to consider casting them off. In the year 2000, uh, Becky and myself and some other members of the worship band we were in, uh, in, in a former life, I was a worship uh, pastor and, and a bunch of other things, but uh, never nearly as good as Carson or this band. But Becky and I in this band were invited to go uh, to Japan uh, to put on some concerts at, at, a, at, a, at a university there in Chiba by the missionaries that were there. Um, we would go and just fill arenas, just thousands of people, you know. <laughs> no, uh, actually not at all. Uh, but we were trying to help their college ministry connect with students, and we would play songs that were popular to them. And back then, believe it or not, in the year 2000, uh, the Carpenters were, were very big. <laughs> uh, some of you don't even know. You're going, I don't even know who that is. Uh, Google it. And then, uh, and the Beatles. And so we, we did that. Uh, she was, at the time, in the third trimester of being pregnant with our third son. You can ask her why she went to Japan uh, being so greatly pregnant. I can tell you why. She loves adventure. She was not going to miss out on it. We decided to go, even though she was great with child, with our third child, and by the end of the two weeks, we were there for two weeks, can you, we were dying to get home to be with our boys. We missed them so much. But our plane from Tokyo, as we're coming back, was delayed, and so we were extremely pressed for time in Minneapolis, getting our, you know, the next flight to get home to Cincinnati. And then, of course, you have to go through customs. So we're running late. We have to go through customs, and everything that could go wrong in customs, for me and Becky, the rest of the team got through fine, uh, but we got delayed. They lost my guitar on the one hand, and they decided that she looked like a terrorist, even though being greatly pregnant, and they gave her the full inspection. And so after that, and this already delay, and and we're so pressed for time, I take her aside afterwards and said, honey, we're not going to make this flight. Let's just book another flight, okay? Uh, wrong answer. Um, she literally was like, no. And she just took off running in the direction of the gate. And she is carrying the load of our child and I'm in, you know, in the womb and I am carrying everything else. And so I have my guitar, a bunch of baggage, and, and we are running. We're sprinting. Uh, and, and we're, if you've been to the Minneapolis airport, it's big. And, and we're running down this hallway only to find out that we have run in the wrong direction. And so we go all the way back to the other side. We're well past a quarter mile, bordering on a half mile at this point, I think. And then we get all the way to the end of the other, only to be told, no, the original hallway we went down was actually the correct hallway. And so we book it back. I am begging her, please stop. I can't do this. We get, we get to the gate to see our plane taxing on the tarmac and leaving. She cries. I pass out. We get another plane. What's the point of this? Uh, you can't keep up with Becky, even if she's pregnant. <laughs> no, the point is, you can't run with endurance when you're so weighted down. She, you know, she was weighted down with a child. I was weighted down with all this baggage. You can't, you can't do it. It's too much. But that is exactly how we often run the race of faith. And I want to kind of take a deep dive in, into thinking about this. And the truth is, all of us are this way. So I don't want you to think like, oh, some of us 
are just running this race of faith so perfectly and others aren't. That's not true. We are all carrying some baggage and some weight that is keeping us from running our race of faith. So he says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. And so he seems to be implying that weights aren't sin, but they still might be problematic in your ability to run. Uh, There are sinful things, which we'll talk about later, but he seems to be implying that they're weights. They're not sin, but they're still unhelpful because they are weights. But I want to address the reality as we get started on this side of the topic. Most of us have been exposed to legalism within the church at some level. Legalism. And most forms of legalism are found when we bind somebody's conscience uh, with a rule uh, or a law or some commandment that isn't really found in Scripture. There's, scripture is silent. There are rules and there are cultural norms where there should be freedom and wisdom applied instead, right? That's what legalism is. So on the one hand, I want to say a passage like this can be used to control people and create a legalistic culture. And that's literally the opposite of what we would ever want to do here. That's not what we're about. Real Christians don't, you know, fill in the blank Uh, whatever legalistic thing. So this is not what I want to imply today, but on the other hand, this text is talking about something. But the reality is, whatever the something is, that might be your weight, but it may not be somebody else's weight. And so I want you to consider, what is a weight to you? And not judge anybody else regarding what may or may not be a weight for them. What are these things? Well, I think the category of idolatry is a helpful way to think about this. Uh, Idolatry is trusting in created things, good things. All of creation is good. God created all things and declared all things good in Genesis. It's created things uh, rather than the creator, elevating created things, elevating created things to the level of the creator, and they become our hope and our happiness and our significance, even our identity at times, and security. Not bad things, but good things, which have become a greater priority than God himself. So, again, it's not as if some of us in this room are wrestling with some level of idolatry, and some aren't. We all are. Absolutely. And so, what is it in your life that stands out as a weight for you? Something, some good thing, a created thing that you've elevated and made an ultimate thing. It may not be a sin, but has become something that is weighing you down. It could be a habit, a pleasure, a person, a hobby, not pickleball, an idea, a goal, unmet expectations, online habits. And do I dare to address this? Our phone use. So I said, you know, it doesn't apply to everyone's thing is not the same thing. But I want to kind of I want to dig into the phone use thing for a second. On average, we check our phones 57 times a day on average. It's just an average, right? Some of you more, some less. And on average, we are using our phone at some level. And, you know, I don't know how exactly they determine this. But on average, three hours a day on average, some more, some less. And we know that a lot of that time is spent on social media, if we're honest. That is exactly where most of our time is spent on our phones. Last year, the Surgeon General issued a report that said that social media is playing a negative role 
uh, in the growing mental health crisis among our youth. And when you read that, when, when that, when that report came out, it wasn't like, really? I had not thought of that. I, I had no idea. No, not at all. We're like, exactly. We all know this. Uh, dissatisfaction with body image. And by the way, this is not just for youth, in my opinion. I think social media is affecting all of our mental health and spiritual health at some level, potentially. Dissatisfaction with body image, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. Emily Hemingdinger, that's a hard one, at the University of Colorado says, research has shown that social media can be beneficial for finding community and support. Absolutely it can. Again, this is a good thing, a created thing. Technology is not evil. Social media is not evil. But it can become a problem. It can become a weight. Studies have shown that the use of social media contribute to social comparisons, unrealistic expectations, and negative mental health effects. She called social media the breeding ground for eating disorders. Lisa Lippman and other researchers would say that it's also causing an explosion in identity and gender confusion among adolescents, but especially in the last 10 years among young girls. Just this past week, we attended, uh, our staff and pastors went to a a mini conference here in town, uh, and and, and one of the people that we heard speak was a lady named Elizabeth Newman, who had worked for Homeland Security for about 10 years, and also the White House. And during her time in Homeland Security in 2019, she said, in 2019, you're not going to believe this, 19 of the top Christian Facebook pages, 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages uh, were actually run by Russian troll farms seeking to spread disinformation. 19 in the top 20. (laughs) The only one in the top 20 that wasn't being run by a Russian troll farm seeking to disseminate uh, disinformation was guideposts. The rest of the top 20 (laughs) were Russian troll farms. So, okay, so what? We're, We're talking about weights Things that aren't necessarily sin, but can hinder our ability to run the race of faith with endurance. Meanwhile, God has given us the means of grace where where we can be strengthened to have more endurance for living our lives and running a, a life of faith. Just as a healthy diet will help you train for a literal race, right, in conditioning and running, the means of grace will give you more endurance for the race of faith. And what do we mean by the means of grace? Some of them are obvious and maybe some of them are are less obvious, but it's things, of course, like reading scripture. And not just reading it for information's sake, but like slowly reading it. Taking some passages and, and slowing down long enough to meditate on it. Slowing down enough to ask God to speak to you through this passage. Lord, what should I be applying to my own life and heart in light of this passage? Maybe taking it to the next level. Maybe even journaling about what you're seeing in this passage in in Scripture. Scripture. uh, Being with other believers. You're literally practicing a means of grace right now. Worship is a means of grace. Uh, Hearing God's word preached. Reading it out loud together. uh, Doing liturgy together. The Lord's Supper. All means of grace. Aspects of ways God uses us serving one another, serving the poor, serving other people, getting outside of your own life and saying, I want to get my life to helping other people. These are all means 
of grace where God strengthens us. So now, it's really a matter of proportion I want you to think about. How much of a diet are you getting of the means of grace versus a diet of things like social media in your life right now? If you're literally spending, and most of us are, several hours a day filling your eyes and heart and mind with a steady stream of pictures and videos and content that leads to unhealthy comparisons, fear, anger, disappointment, and divisiveness. Meanwhile, and this is a tough challenge, only spending very small slivers of time with the means of God's grace, we shouldn't be surprised that we lack endurance for running the race of faith. Fear, anger, disappointment, divisiveness. And, 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 and instead, God is calling out that we focus on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely. And we know the outcomes of this. We're experiencing it all around us. So a serious question to ponder. For all of us, with different application points, though, what would our mental and spiritual health look like if we took just half the time that we normally spend on our phone, like an hour and a half, and maybe even, let's just say, a third of our time, an, an hour a day dedicated to reading Scripture, or use your phone, listening to Scripture. Some of you are audible, audible learners. Listen to Scripture. Listen to sermons. What if you took some of that time and said, I'm going to dedicate some of this to, to have the means of God's grace coming to me? Memorizing passages, serving others, being in fellowship with other people. What would our mental and spiritual health look like in comparison? Now, I'm going to give you a specific challenge, but I'm begging you to not be legalistic with this, please. But here's a specific challenge, and it's coming to you via myself and Megan South. The Lenten season begins on February 14th. We don't formally practice Lent here at the church, but... Uh, Christians around the world practice Lent, where during Lent, between the period of the beginning of Lent this year, February 14th, until, until Easter Sunday, you give up something in order to be reminded of, of the life of Jesus, but you don't just give something up. Whatever you take away, you then fill in with time with the Lord. That's sort of the, the point of fasting, right? You don't just give up something, then you you bring something else into your life, more time meditating on Scripture, praying, etc. So what if, do you know where I'm going with this? During Lent, you fasted from all social media between February 14th and Easter. I'm going to do it myself. Join me, would you? Don't be legalistic. We're not, I'm not going to judge any of you that choose not to do that, okay? But that's a challenge. We're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So some of these things are not sin, but they are weight. I've mentioned one. I've drove into one, social media. I think that is a weight for many of us. But it may not be your weight at all. That's fine. But what is your weight? And the sin, he says, that so easily entangles us. And this is much more obvious and easy, uh, so I'm not going to spend that much time with it, but sin so easily entangles us. And if you've been a parent or you are a parent of young kids, you've all had this common experience where a kid entangles themselves in your feet. They're joking around, but when they do that, you can't really walk, can you, let alone run. 
That's what comes to my mind when I hear the sin that so easily entangles. It wraps itself around us in such a way that there's no way you can run effectively with endurance. And so the sin that so easily entangle us, when we persist in something that we know is sin, the problem, the ultimate problem with running the race with endurance, in my opinion, is because of the shame that we're feeling in our own seared conscience from remaining in something we know is sin, we begin to avoid God. And and in that moment, when you're trapped and entangled in sin, the place you should go to immediately is the Lord himself. Don't run away from him, but instead we do. We hide. We stay away from people we think are upset with us, right? You know, if you think someone's mad at you, you tend to avoid them at work. You go around their cubicle. You don't look at them. You just kind of, you can do that with your spouse walking, you know, down the hallway. Just like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, you just ignore one another. Don't ignore Jesus in the moment when you find yourself entangled in sin. The gospel would say that's when you flee to Jesus. That's when you run to Jesus and to other believers for aid and for help. But we tend to not do that. And we remain entangled. What are the weights you're dealing with? What are the sins that are entangling you? The way out in my opinion, is to look at the third point, which is this, our great reward, the great reward, Jesus himself. We are to cast off the weight that's hindering us from running the race with endurance, but also the sin that so easily entangles us. And we do that, he says, by looking to the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the alpha and the omega of our faith. He is the object of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. We begin with Jesus. We end with Jesus. It's not about our righteousness, our works, our life. It's about his. He is the author. He is the perfecter. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross in his race. He despised the cross, the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When running a a marathon, again, I've been told... Uh, everything in your entire being cries out to you, quit running. How do you push through the pain? Obviously, the cheers from the crowd help enormously, but you also, I've been told by marathon runners and others that, that have done like triathlons, you have to focus your mind on something, and it's usually like some good thing, a reward, something that is on the other side of the finish line for you. Probably not broccoli, right? probably some amazing dessert that is awaiting you or some gift or some good thing or some person. The cross was the point of the race where Jesus was most tempted to stop running. We know this. He cried out, Father, let this cut pass for me if it be your will. How did he endure it? How did he finish? It says right here, for the joy of Set before him. He fixed his mind on something. He had a joy in mind that was set before him that helped him to endure the shame and the judgment of the cross. What was the joy? Rather, who was the joy that was set before him? Very personally, the joy that was set before him was you, church. 
Your redemption and your restoration was the joy that set before him, knowing that if he did not go to the cross, that there would be no redemption and no restoration of all that is broken. Most importantly, the people for whom he was going to die for. In John 10, it says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Only something or someone who brings you great joy will inspire you to keep running when you want to quit. And for for Jesus, it was us. It was all of humanity. It was all of creation. Everything that is wrong and broken and bent and sinful and, and, and no longer the way it's supposed to be, Jesus set the restoration of all those things, including the earth. All things will be restored in his salvation. And so that was the joy of that that was set before him. And now he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. But here's the problem for us. A motivator when you're running a race of endurance has to be something that you love and that you find profound joy in. And if Jesus is not yet the thing or person for whom you find extreme joy, then Jesus can't even be a motivator for you. He can't. So how do you fuel desire to have Jesus as your joy and and someone you love so much that he would be the profound thing that would cause you to cross the finish line? Jesus fixed his eyes on us as he endured the pain of the cross. His joy was our redemption. And, And the more we see how Jesus fixed his eyes on us, the more we will naturally find ourselves fixing our eyes on him. Let me say that again. The more you see, we see how Jesus fixed his eyes on us, the more we see his love for us, his grace, his mercy and kindness, the more we see how Jesus fixed his eyes on us, the more we will naturally find ourselves fixing our eyes on him because no one has ever loved you like Jesus has loved you. And the younger you are, the less likely you will believe that's true but it's true. And there's so much good in this world, friends, there is, and the younger you are, the more I want you to hear that. There's so much brokenness in marriage, but there's so much good in marriage. I'm gonna be bold and just say, I think I have a fantastic marriage. It is not a perfect marriage, but my wife, Becky, and I enjoy a great marriage. And I would say the love of Jesus Christ, though, far surpasses the the intimacy and joy that we enjoy in our marriage. I, I love my boys with such a profound love, but I know I can never love them at the level that Jesus loves them. There is no greater love than this. And, and you're, we're all on a journey, and the younger you are, the harder it is to believe, but as you, as you live your life on this journey, you will see more and more and more that Jesus can be the great motivator of your soul because he's the greatest of all loves. He is the greatest of all pleasures. We get so addicted and caught up in, in whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or power or money or whatever it is because of the pleasure those things bring. But what we find, the more you walk with Jesus, he is the greatest of all pleasures. He's the greatest of joys. He's the greatest of loves. He despised what sin had done. He hated it, the shame of it. He hates death, disease, decay, depression, and all the lies and distortions. And he killed death through death, and he raised victoriously over it on Easter Sunday. There is more joy in Jesus than in anyone and anything. 
No one has ever loved you like this. Let's pray. Father, in light of your profound love for us in your son, it is a sad reality that we, even as your children, fail to love you in the ways that we should. Most of us are so weighted down and entangled with so many other things other than you. And I pray for myself and for this church and for all of us that through your power and your love, you would release us more and more to let go of the weights that are hindering us, to just put them down and to see, even if they're good things, they're not good enough. And to be, be more free, less weighted down, letting these burdens come off of us. We carry so many burdens, Father, inward, outward. Help us to lay them down. And we pray that the ways that sin has entangled us, that more and more we would see that those sins are lies. They're offering us things that seem like life, but they're death. Help us, by your mercy, to be disentangled from those things. We beg you in Jesus' good name. Amen.